chapter 6, I want us to just consider a few verses of Scripture, if we may, this evening, beginning in verse number 18. And here the Bible says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. As I ought to speak. Tonight I want to bring you a message titled simply, What We Ought to Do. What We Ought to Do. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, by Thy Spirit, I pray that You would tenderize our hearts. Lord, I pray that the seed of the Word of God would find fertile ground, that it may bear a harvest in us. Lord, I pray that You would draw us closer to the, to the center of Your will for our lives because of this time that we have spent together. For these things we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. I've been in church work all of my life. In fact, I was in church before I was born. My father was pastoring a little country church, the Goodman Point Baptist Church, in a little farming town in southwestern Colorado when, when I was uh, on board and, and coming in for landing. And the truth is that I cut my teeth on the back of a church pew, and I can remember uh, being pushed in the stroller on visitation and, and uh, from the tenderest age being involved in the work of the Lord. I can remember even as toddlers, my brother Paul and I found a can of red paint in our garage and we decided that we were going to be a blessing to the church and paint the church fellowship hall tables red as a surprise for everybody. And I got to tell you, uh, nobody appreciated our ministry. They didn't give us Worker of the Year awards. In fact, uh, it was just the opposite. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, sometimes what happens is we can get a little infantile in our thinking about the work of the Lord. We think if we do something that we should always receive adulation, appreciation, uh, attention. Hey, there you go, an alliterated uh, point there. Adulation, appreciation, and attention. There's a sermon building here. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes people get the idea that they always need to be affirmed and recognized when they do things and, and that people need to appreciate that because after all, they're, they're really sacrificing to be involved in the work of the Lord. And sometimes people show up to visitation and they'll kind of have the attitude like, well, aren't you glad I'm here? Uh, you should feel happy. I made it. And, and the truth is that sometimes we want people to be grateful because we did what we ought to have done. 
You, you know, when I was a little boy, my mom would tell me to clean my room, you know, and I'd bring her in and say, look, mom, I cleaned up the room, you know, and she's, oh, I'm so proud of you, you did such a great job. But now, if company comes over and I say, hey, I cleaned up my room, they're going to say, yeah, so you should have. <laughs> What's the big deal, man? The fact of the matter is, as we begin to grow in the Lord, things that we thought were so outside of the pale of something we would have done before we met Jesus now falls within the pale of something that we should be doing. And we don't have to do it for the applause of men, for the approval, and, and for all of the, the A words that I came up with earlier. <laughs> and, but listen, I think we need to realize that Paul said some things here as he made a request to the Ephesian church about doing the things that he ought to do, to say the things that he ought to say. Now I think that it is important for us as we introduce this message to understand that the book of Ephesians is one of Paul's prison epistles. He was uh, under arrest and incarcerated in Rome, awaiting a hearing before uh, the, Ciro, uh, the, the Caesar Nero. And uh, try to say Caesar Nero real fast, and you'll say say the same thing. But anyway, uh, it's he was waiting a hearing, and he wrote the prison epistles there. And this epistle is really a masterpiece on the Christian life, and it contains profound truth to help every church and and every believer. Tychicus was the the pastor of the church in Ephesus at this time. Of course, Timothy was intimately involved with its foundation and the calling of the elders in that area. And, and yet now Tychicus is pastoring and he went from Rome and carried the letter back to the church in Ephesus that, that Paul had written. And as we find our text tonight, we know for those of you that have been in the Word of God for any measure of time that this is written in the context of spiritual warfare. For there in Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible tells us in verse number 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then we find our text for tonight in this context, and it is important for us to recognize that uh, as we look at how this is laid out, that verse 17 doesn't end with a period. It's a semicolon there, or, or a colon rather, and it says, continues on, praying always, which is an indicator 
that prayer is a part of the armament of the soldier of the Lord. And we know from a diligent study of the Scriptures that God has called us to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And so what we find is that Paul is writing in the context of spiritual warfare and he's in a battle royal. Can you imagine he's in prison for having done what God had called him to do? And he was chained and often chained to a guard and perhaps there was a changing of the guard a few times each day and that was an opportunity for Paul to be a witness and I think uh, probably every once in a while he chuckled as a new one was chained to him because he felt like they think they have a captive audience but I know I have one and that was an audience that God had ordained from before the foundations of the world that they might hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and so here he's in a battle royal against all of the forces of hell against spiritual wickedness in the palace and in high places and if you read the history of Rome at the time of the Apostle Paul during that early church period you know that spiritual wickedness in high places is an apt way to define and describe what was going on at that time period in Rome. Nero was a butcher who slaughtered many and the reality was this that Paul was no guest in the palace he was a prisoner. And he was up against an awful lot, and he had suffered much for Jesus' sake. In fact, as you study the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, you can discern that he was imprisoned many times. We don't find perhaps written in the canon every single time he was detained. We know it was in every city. That's what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, that the Spirit bore witness to him of the fact that, that bonds in every city, bonds and afflictions were, go, were going to abide him. And of the times that we do know, during his 30 and a half or 31 year ministry from the time that he accepted Christ on the road to Damascus until the time that he was beheaded in Rome, he was imprisoned or incarcerated for six and a half years. I don't know how that would impact you, but that would have some impact on me in the way that I viewed things, in the way that I thought. Perhaps it was discouraging at times, but rather than becoming discouraged, he set about to encourage others. Now, were we in prison, perhaps we would have a long list of prayer requests that we would want for people to lift up to the throne of grace in our behalf. We would want to school them on the effects and benefits of intercessory prayer and to call upon them to pray for us because it's uncomfortable. And we've appealed to the, to the warden for better food. And that the chains would be loosened because it really hurts. And, and I've, I'm, I'm developing some owies and pray that they get better and that, the, that they'll be able to send me to the infirmary and uh, to pray that uh, this black and white little television would be replaced with a, with a 90 inch flat screen color television and uh, pray that my attorney would be able to get my conviction overturned on appeal and, and pray that people would come to visit me and pray that I would get my sentence commuted and pray that the president or the governor would pardon me and pray that I be delivered from this mess 
that I'm in. I can think of a whole laundry list of prayer requests that I think I might have where I'm sitting in prison for having done nothing but just simply preach the Word of God as I have been commanded to do. And yet, we don't find any of those things from Paul. We never find Paul complaining because people didn't come to visit him or nobody brought him some soup. You know, and we, we don't ever find him complaining because he didn't get any cards in prison and uh, nobody was thinking about him. He felt so lonely and he was depressed. No, he didn't write about that. He wrote about the joy of the Lord in one of his prison epistles uh, to the church in Philippi and trying to encourage those believers. And despite the fact that his hands were chained often to a Roman guard, he took the time with quill in hand and parchments to write letters of encouragement to others. And you know what? In his mind, he didn't think that that was beyond the pale, that that was above and beyond the call of duty given all that he was facing. He just felt like that's what he ought to do. That was the right thing for him to do. So as he took pen in hand and he wrote to encourage the church at Ephesus, as he came to his prayer requests for himself, he tagged on to the end of the information that he gave concerning spiritual warfare and prayer being a tool in spiritual warfare. And he said, would you pray for me? And then his request came, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly. Nothing here about soup. Nothing here about blankets. Nothing here about cards. Nothing here about commutated sentences and, and, uh, and pardons. Nothing here about the legal process. Nothing here about color television in TV, uh, 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 television in prison. Nothing. It's all about pray for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He said, I want to do what I ought to do. There comes a point in time in your life, folks, where you don't get an allowance for making your bed. Uh, if you don't do it, people think you're, you're kind of a little a half bubble off center. And, and it's something that you probably ought to do. Uh, look, folks, there comes a point in time in your life when you don't need an attaboy for emptying the garbage can because uh, if you don't, you're going to be overrun with bugs and stench and it's something that you ought to do, right? It's just what you ought to do. And folks, listen, coming to church is what you ought to do. Being a witness for Jesus is what you ought to do. You don't need a brownie badge for for coming to church, folks say, well, you know, I, I look, church feel really, really good that I'm here. You know, you ought to be happy. Here I am, you know, and, and it's like, uh, we think that we're Mighty Mouse. Some of you are old enough to remember that, right? And uh, I used to watch cartoons when I was a kid, just like you did. And, and Mighty Mouse, he would always say, here I come to save the day, you know, and a lot of people, when they come to church, they think, here I come, I'm here, uh, you know, whatever needs to be done, you know, I'm the junior Messiah, I'll take care of it, I'll handle it, but man, I want everybody in the world to know it and see it and acknowledge and affirm it and give me the adulation, adulation affirmation and appreciation, another sermon building here, and, uh, but what, what we find is that Paul said, look, I don't need all of that stuff, that's what I ought to be doing. That's what I ought to be doing. And you know what he said? Pray, pray for me that I do what I ought to do. 
that I do what I ought to do. Now, I want us to notice that there's some specific things that Paul highlights about what God has given for him to do, the things that he ought to do that are found within verses 19 and 20. And I want to highlight those to you in just a few moments here. As we consider this, we see, first of all, if you're taking notes, writing there with the coloring crayon on the kitchen table, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but um, it, it may, maybe the Grandstroms at their house have, have some coloring. and uh, so, so you can write on the back of the coloring page the notes. Uh, what we notice, first of all, is a called preacher. A called preacher. Now, Paul began this prison epistle by saying in chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. You see, he was by the will of God, called according to the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was called to preach the gospel. Now, I want you to know that he was called to the Lord. Now, the word preach in the Bible is the Greek word Keruk. And that word means to be a herald or to trumpet or to proclaim. To be a proclaimer of the truth. And just as Paul was called to be a herald, a clarion, if you would, of God's saving truth, so too every believer in Jesus has been called to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That was not something that was reserved exclusively for the apostles. That is not listed anywhere in the Bible as a per se spiritual gift, that of giving the gospel, being a witness. That is a spiritual mandate that is upon every believer who has accepted Jesus as Savior. We have been called and we have been given a great commission and that calling is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to every creature. I sometimes tell the kids that we're to be an every creature reacher. That that's our calling. Paul was called to the Lord. He was given this mission, the great commission, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we need to understand about this is, it was what he was supposed to be doing. It was what he was supposed to be doing. Listen, if God has called you to something, it's what you're supposed to do. And the truth of the matter is this, that there are many people who at one time knew that God was leading them to some avenue of service, leading them to do something within the work of the Lord, and we just kind of got away from God's calling upon our life. And when we, we start to do a little something, we feel like, well, everybody needs to acknowledge it. Everyone needs to know it. We want to post about it on social media so that we can get a bunch of likes and people will think, my, aren't they a wonderful Christian? And the reality is, all you're doing is posting that you made your bed today. Well, God bless your pee-picking little heart. What I'm saying to you is this, that's what you'd ought to have done. And it, we don't need appreciation, adulation, and affirmation for that. The truth is, 
If we took the time to read the Bible in Luke chapter 17, the parable of the unprofitable servant, we would understand that when we do our duty, that which we have been called to do, we're to count ourselves as unprofitable servants. Why? Because all we did was the compulsory things. And listen, we need to do what we do in love for the Lord and be willing to go the second and the third and the fourth mile in our labor for the Lord without the expectation that anyone is going to know about it. Paul wasn't trying to garner attention. Paul wasn't trying to make it in the annals of the Hall of Fame of Christianity, though he is there, ensconced as such. But let me simply say to you, he was humble enough to recognize that he alone was not sufficient for what God had called him to do. And so he was asking the church in Ephesus, would you please pray for me? Let me tell you this, uh, Freeway Baptist Church, that you're looking at one man that's not sufficient for these things. I need the prayers of God's people. Paul was saying, pray for me that I would have, uh, uh, that, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mysteries of the gospel. He was called to be a preacher, and it's something that he ought to have been doing. You have been called to be a witness for Jesus Christ, a herald, and in the strictest sense of the term, a preacher. And my friends, it's what we all ought to be doing. At some point, we've got to grow up to that. We've got to come up to that idea and realize that, look, if we don't do it, (laughs) there's something wrong. Just like when when people decide they're not going to brush their teeth or put on deodorant, you know? Something wrong. Listen, when I when I was coming up through the sixth grade, my mom and dad were were on me, you know, starting to sprout little hairs under my arm and starting to have bo real bad, and and uh, you know, I I wanted to to look cool, and I was starting to get zits on my face, and and you know what? I had to start washing a little better. I had to start using deodorant. I had to make sure that I brushed my teeth on a regular basis. When people don't do that, there's something wrong with that. And you know what? I, it got beyond the point where you know my parents needed to put a star on the chart because I brushed my teeth that day. Or they needed to put a star on my chart because I washed my face or used deodorant. Look, that's what I ought to have been doing. And folks, sometimes we feel like, oh, you know, look at what I'm doing. I'm just so involved in the work of the Lord. and uh, You know, I'm, I'm just so busy. I've got so much going on. And, and, and now I'm, you know, telling people about Jesus. And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, be involved in the choir ministry. I'm trying to show up to do my post. Look, that's what we ought to be doing. We've been called, look, into this. The Bible says that we're to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we've been called. And the vocation is not that you're a plumber or an electrician or a postman or whatever it is that you do. The vocation is the calling of God to be involved in His service. Look, if you're a postman, it's just a postal service that finances your efforts in serving the Lord. If you're an electrician, it's just the electrical company that finances your efforts to fulfill the calling, the vocation that God has given you. And that's what we need to be doing. It's what we ought to do. And so we notice a called preacher. But secondly, would you notice with me a courageous warrior? A courageous warrior. The Bible says, pray for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly. Paul was not praying that he might be set free from prison. 
Paul did not ask them to pray for his bad back or his gout or his migraine headaches or a toothache. Paul didn't ask them to pray for his arthritic condition, though with all the stonings and beatings that he took in his life, I have no doubt that he had aches and pains the likes of which uh, we can't imagine. I have no doubt that he had headaches from being stoned and left for dead. And, and though the Lord brought him back, I'm sure that he bore in his body the, the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ physically. But his prayer request wasn't about, pray that I'll get out of here. Pray that they'll let me go. Pray that, I, that my hearing date will be moved up. Pray that my lawyer will do a great job. Pray that Nero will take mercy on me. No, it was none of those things. But rather, what he asked for was, pray that I would have boldness. That I would be courageous in the service of the king, knowing that he was involved in a gut-wrenching level of spiritual warfare. He desired the prayers of God's people for courage, for boldness. He did not ask them to pray for deliverance. He asked them to pray that God might grant him courage to preach the gospel of God with all boldness, knowing that those that were hearing it had the authority to order his execution knowing that those that were in proximity to it had the authority to physically punish him for having done so. But do you know what he believed in his heart? Even though this is hard, even though there are not many people that have endured what I have endured, I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for myself and just beg out of my responsibility and duty in spiritual warfare to communicate the gospel to people that are held in the bonds and chains of darkness and sin. I'm going to pray that people would pray for me to have courage as a warrior of Jesus Christ because that's what I ought to do. That's how I ought to be. He said, as I ought to. Folks, he was in prison. He'd been beaten. His friends had forsaken him in Asia Minor. He could have said, you know, I've, I've done my time. You know, I did my years of teaching Sunday school. I'll let somebody else do it now. I hear that stuff. Oh, you know, I used to. I used to. Look, Paul never said I used to. He said, pray that I have strength to continue. Not that I can retire. You know, pray for me. You know, retirement is on the horizon. And, and uh, you know, I want to retire and travel. And, and I want to go camping. And I want to live, live out my days just before I see Christ for myself. What? you got to be kidding me, man. The closer you get to heaven, you want it to become about you? Is that what you think you ought to do? That's not what I find in my Bible. Now, folks, this is not compulsory service. I'm going to say that again. It's not compulsory service. But there is something that drew him. It was the love of God. God didn't force this on him. He doesn't force it on you. 
you know, listen, I'm going to be 57, year old, 57 years old in a few weeks, and, and the fact of the matter is that if I don't want to make my bed, I'm a grown man, I don't have to, nobody's going to make me. But you know what? When I get up in the morning, I make the bed. You know, I, I, I brush my teeth on a regular basis. I use deodorant. I shave every day. You know, I wash my face. And uh, aren't you proud of me? You say, uh, well, uh, you know, you see, uh, the thing is, that's what you ought to be doing. You know, folks, listen, don't show up to church and say, aren't you proud of me? You know, as your pastor, I'll probably say, man, I'm so happy to see you. Man, I'm, I'm just so proud that you made it, and, and I'm tickled pink, you know. But, you know, there needs to be a point that we grow up to the place where we say, this is what I ought to be doing. A called preacher, he said, I, I want you to pray for me that I would be able to fulfill my calling as I ought to. A courageous warrior that I would fulfill that calling as I ought to with boldness. That I would not trim the message. That I would not soft pedal the message because of what might come. Because of the persecution that could follow that. Pray, pray that I would preach with boldness as I, as I ought to. Did you notice with me thirdly, a conscientious steward. A conscientious steward. Not only a called preacher and a courageous warrior, but a conscientious steward. For the Bible tells us that he says, Pray for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Very interesting, these words that he uses because the Bible casts light. And we want to have uh, more understanding of the Scripture. We don't need to buy a new commentary. Sometimes what we need to do is just read the Bible in its entirety and we'll find that the Bible can do a pretty good job of interpreting itself. And as we compare Scripture with Scripture. So as we look at the mystery, the word mystery there, it rings a bell. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. What are the mysteries of God? Well, the mysteries of God are those great truths of Scripture that were made manifest in Jesus Christ. And those are what we have been called to steward. Now you and I have been around church long enough to hear people talk about the, the idea of stewardship, and inevitably they quote 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, but they fail to put it in the context. In fact, 90 plus percent of the time you see that presented, it's not about being a steward of the mysteries of God. It's about being a steward of finances, it's about being a steward of the church facilities and property, it's about being a steward of our, all the physical things that we have. And the reality is that if we don't steward the truth, big deal you have kept your bank balance, big deal that you have cleaned the church house. If we're not stewarding the mysteries of God, we have fundamentally failed despite the fact that we have stewarded some, some physical things. What He's calling us to be is stewards 
of the mysteries of God. And what he said, look, I want to be a kind of steward that does what he ought to do. I want to be conscientious. He realized that he was a steward of the mysteries of God, and it was required among stewards that they be found faithful, faithfully delivering the truth that had been delivered unto them, preaching it plain, preaching it pure, and preaching it powerfully, the, the mysteries of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As an ambassador, he said, I'm an ambassador in bonds. And what does this tell us? That he was there not as a citizen of Rome. He was there as a citizen of heaven, as a representative and ambassador of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the message that he carried to the palace in Rome and to all them that were in Rome as an ambassador was not his message. It was the message of the king and he felt a keen responsibility to be conscientious as a steward of that message and not to dilute it, not to soft pedal it, but to clearly and succinctly give the truth. An ambassador does not have a message of their own. It amazes me how many people will look into the Word of God and then prepare a devotional, prepare a Bible study, or prepare a message, and it comes out being all about them and their experience and what they think. You know, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I, I, there's no wrong way to study the Bible, but I really have a problem with the kind of Bible study where that nobody really understands what the text says, and they all sit around in a circle, and they read a verse, and they go one by one around the table, and they ask everybody, now what does this verse mean to you? Well, you know what, listen, I didn't come to Bible study to get 20 spins on what people that don't know the Bible think it means to them. I came to the Bible study to hear what is God saying? And to have someone boldly proclaim as a steward of the mysteries of God, thus saith the Lord. Not, well, you know, I feel like, well, I sort of think I feel like that what this means for me is, it it may mean something, no, 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 no. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. It's not up to me to say, well, what I think I feel like this might mean is, look, that's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to be conscientious stewards of the mysteries of God and boldly proclaim, thus saith the Lord as an ambassador. He realized that it was his duty to fulfill what God had called him to do which, to, which was to, with purity and with power and with plainness of speech, declare, thus saith the Lord. Why? It was what He ought to do. And let me say this. It's what you ought to do too. God didn't say, well, okay, I have some orders just for Paul. Now, granted, he was an apostle, and during the early church period, there were things that uh, were incumbent upon him as an apostle of the Lord that perhaps doesn't fall upon our shoulders. But in the general sense of the term, the Great Commission rests upon us all. We are all to be stewards, faithfully, conscientiously, of the mysteries of God. And so we see a called preacher and we find a courageous warrior and a conscientious steward. And finally, what we notice in this text is a Christian prisoner. A Christian prisoner. For the Bible tells us in verse 20 
for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was in prison as a Christian. Had he gathered people together to sing the praises of Caesar, there would have been, there would have been nothing befall him. Perhaps they would have tried to bring him into the palace and give him a position in the kingdom, a pat on the back, some attaboys, some affirmation, some adulation, and some attention. You know, what he did was preach Christ. And that's what a Christian ought to do. And do you know what Paul said? Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, let me say this to you. If you grow up to the place where you decide you're going to do what you ought to do, expect some persecution. Because in the world we will have tribulation, Jesus said. He said, know this, that if the world hates you, it hated me first. The world hates Christ. And so, it vents its anger and hatred on His kids. The world hates you. And you know what sometimes we do? We shy away from standing up to be the Christian God has called us to be in spiritual warfare. We don't do everything to stand and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Listen, that's what we ought to do. And when we do what we ought to do, sometimes the world isn't going to like it. But Paul was willing to be made a prisoner for Jesus' sake. He was willing to suffer for Jesus' sake. Why? He knew that this was what he ought to do. You say, suffering, hardship? I, you know, count me out on that, preacher. You know, it's amazing to me how many people are willing to protest. They'll go down to the Capitol on a hundred degree day and carry a protest sign about having to, to, to stay at home and not go to work and not opening the economy. Man, they'll go down there, it's a hundred degree day. But man, if it's 90 degrees, they won't go out soul winning. But man, it's a hundred degrees, they'll go down and protest. Why? That's my Christian duty. And if they don't like it or they arrest me, I'm practicing civil disobedience, then I'll wear that badge with honor. Folks, listen. As an American, you might get it in your mind that that's what you think you ought to do. But as a Christian... What is it that you ought to do? Paul said, Ephesian church, would you remember to pray for me that I would do what I ought to do? That I wouldn't acquiesce because I'm in prison. I'm in difficulty. That I wouldn't shy away because my life is in jeopardy. That I wouldn't make excuses because I'm tethered to a guard but that under all circumstances I might with boldness do what I ought to do.
as believers, I think the question remains, are we willing to do what we ought to do? Or do we get the idea that, you know, so few people are really doing this stuff that, man, when we do it, it's beyond the pale and everybody needs to sit up and pay attention. I need to post about it on social media. I need to write a blog. I need people to give me affirmation because, look, look here, I'm doing what I ought to do. That's like expecting brownie points because you brushed your teeth today. That was just what you ought to have done. The fact is that there's so much about the Christian life that we ought to do. And because we don't have that passionate love for Jesus as we ought, we feel like that we're really going beyond, above and beyond the call of duty when we do the least requirement. Folks, Paul prayed and asked the church to pray that he would keep on doing what he ought to do. If you were in prison for preaching the gospel, what would your prayer list look like? How would your letters read? Would it be for a softer pillow, a warmer blanket, some chicken soup, a bigger television, a pardon, a commutation? Or would it be Pray that I would be bold in this place to do what I ought to do. Folks, let's determine to just simply do what we ought to do. Heavenly Father, I confess that so many times when I have simply done what I ought to do, I felt like it was something noteworthy. Lord, grow me up to the place where doing Your will is something that I see as what I should have done and what I should do. And Lord, I pray that I would have this spirit like Paul, that I would do what I ought to do. Christian friend, I want to tell you that I've tried to exhort and encourage you from the Word of God today, but perhaps there's someone watching and listening that doesn't even know for a certainty that if they died today that they would spend all eternity in heaven with Jesus. And if that's you, I want to just simply say that you don't have to go to sleep tonight without the confidence in your heart that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is your home. The Bible was written so that we could understand and know that our sins can be forgiven and that heaven can be our home forever without a doubt. And the gospel is simply this. We, we understand that we're sinners. That's bad news. We were born sinners because we inherited that sin from Adam. And we're not sinners because we sin. We're, we sin because we're sinners. So we're sinners by birth and we're sinners by choice, all of us. And our sin has separated us from God and there's a penalty for sin. It's that we would go to pay the price for sin in a place of suffering that the Bible calls hell. But the good news is that Jesus loves us so much 
that He came to this earth to be made a sacrifice for our sin, to take our punishment in His own body so that we could receive forgiveness through His shed blood and receive the offer of an eternal home in heaven through forgiveness. And so, Jesus went to the cross and He died for you. He was buried and He rose again after three days in the grave to be able to give you eternal life as a gift if you would simply believe Him and receive it. If you believe that today and you've never yet received that gift, if you know you're a sinner and that there's a consequence for your sin and you know that Jesus loved you so much that He died for you to offer life and He offers it freely to all that will receive it, I want to invite you with me right now to pray a prayer just like this right now. Dear Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin so that I may spend forever in heaven with Him one day. I'm now trusting in Jesus and Jesus only to save me and to forgive my sin and to take me to heaven. Thank You for dying on the cross for me. Enable me to live for Thee. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.